This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Today, we are bringing together a crack panel to unpack all the goings on in the city, the province, and the country as we head into summer. Now, starting with the fallout from yesterday's massive Raptors parade. So, just when we thought it was unfolding beautifully, it was marred by a shooting, and I've also seen major criticism about the security arrangements. Now, naturally, it was a great opportunity for politicians to jump on the bandwagon, and we want to hear from you about what you think of that. The numbers to call 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, I'd like to welcome Aleem Kanji, Vice President of Government Relations at Sutherland Corporation, and Kim Wright, Principal of Kim Wright Strategies, and Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel to National Public Relations. Welcome, everybody. Hi there, Libby. Hi, Libby. Good afternoon. Okay. Now, uh, people on the radio, bear with me. Some of you are following uh, on uh, the internet. And Aleem, uh, explain your, your shirt. You're still in raptor glory. I still am in raptor <laughs> glory. I, I, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. So I am wearing the shirt uh, that represents the game-winning shot of the King of the North, Kawhi Leonard himself, uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. And... Uh, there it is. I'm told there are some people watching this online. Libby's asking me to stand up, and there's my shirt. Okay. Okay. It's a nice shirt. Thank Looks you. good under a jacket. Okay. So let us begin with that parade and the political fallout from it. Uh, I First, let's start by playing a clip. This is a big bit of a surprise. This is the reaction that Doug Ford got when he was introduced at the parade. The Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford! Wow, that's quite the boo, and uh, Aleem, it wasn't just booing that he got. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it sounds like a wrestling match, but of course that was uh, a clip uh, you just shared from the uh, the parade and the celebrations uh Two and a half million people strong uh, at the uh, Raptors uh, victory celebration yesterday. And, you know, the premier originally had said uh, that he doesn't do parades. And, uh, of course, he ended up uh, coming uh, in uh, uh, participating and sitting on the stage uh, next to the the mayor who was uh, uh, about to clap for the premier, but didn't end up doing that. And, of course, the prime minister... Uh, who did come out uh, to some applause. And what was really interesting about that is uh, before he came out, uh, he was uh, sort of on the sidelines uh, and, uh, you know, doing some some glad handing and, and meeting some folks. And one Masai Ujiri, the president of the Toronto Raptors, um, who who he walked uh, by, uh, uh, Masai walked by the premier, the premier extended his hand, and uh, they did shake hands, although it, it, it didn't look like they engaged a bit. And, uh, 
you know, communications, staffing, I mean, there's so many things that go into this as an elected official, and you, you sort of got to wonder what was going on at that moment. And are there going to be some changes outside of the cabinet shuffle that's happening uh, that, uh, you know, will lend to a, a bit of a stronger presence, I think, for uh, for the premier going forward? So uh, he got a snub, he got a boo. Bob, how damaging was that, do you think? I don't think it's that damaging, but I think it reaffirms what we've seen in seven or eight polls in the last uh, few weeks, that this guy is in political trouble. And, you know, they can't just write it off as downtown elites and sort of martini-sipping people at the Shangri-La Hotel. Uh, there were two million people out there, and there was hundreds of thousands of people around for for that presentation. A lot of people dislike what's going on in Ontario today, and I think they made themselves, and it was very clear. Like, let's make no mistake. He got booed and got booed bad. And both uh, the mayor and the prime minister were greeted, I would say, quite warmly. So I think there is a lesson there uh, for them to say, you know, um, we should take a, we should take this seriously. We should look. At, that was a pretty good cross-section of uh, not only Toronto and the GTA, but I think it was a pretty good cross-section of Ontario. And there were a lot of people there from outside of uh, Toronto and the greater Toronto area who showed up too as well. So if I were those guys, I would not be happy with that. And I would be asking myself, why is this the case? And uh, Kim, Doug Ford has always prided himself on being popular in ethnic communities, and it was a very, very diverse crowd. How important was that? Well, look, I I will remind listeners that in 1992, uh, Bob Ray got booed pretty loudly and soundly at the Blue Jays uh, World Series. And uh, anyone, any politician who gets booed that soundly and that roundly uh, from constituents uh, should take note, especially given the polling numbers of late that has the premier somewhere in the 29 percent, 30 percent range. Uh, They need to take that into serious consideration. And keep in mind, that was two years after Bob Ray got elected did not just over a year. Uh, This isn't about his policies being unpopular or however conservatives want to spin this. There are some serious concerns of the way in which he is doing this and keeping in mind also that this is a premier who is frankly a populist premier who is incredibly unpopular at this particular point in time. They need to do a recalibration, both of their policies and their communication strategies. They need to do that right away. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out again. Uh, you know, I take the temperature of people here to see how they're feeling about Doug Ford pretty often, and he still has support on this show. But uh, And what did you think of him being booed like that? Was that rude? And it, it sounds like uh, I would call it a quasi-snub from Masai Ujiri. Not so good. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, one 866-744-740, which brings up the topic of this cabinet shuffle that we've been hearing a lot about. And uh, I guess from the speculation, the biggest fish with maybe a target on his head is Vic Fideli, the finance minister, you know, generally not credited with doing a very good job, Aleem. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, there is some speculation, um, which would be, Fairly unusual, you know, one year into a government mandate for the um, the chief minister, in this case, the finance minister, to be uh, to be shuffled out. And a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, what Kim referenced earlier, and that is communications. Has Minister Fideli sold the budget um, to the extent that the government would like to see? 
Some would say no. I mean, he has not really spoken about the the deficit and the debt uh, projections um, insofar as the changes that are being made. Um, has he amped up, you know, the fact that the, the Premier loves to talk about this, and that is the spending is going up in healthcare and education. And if you look at the budget, it, it, it in fact is. But is that being spoken about uh, to the extent uh, that it should be? I'm not so sure. And, you know, there is some speculation, and my sources are saying that we could see um, the Treasury Board uh, President, uh, Peter Bethenfalvy, uh, in as the finance minister. That is a strong possibility. I think we're also going to see some expert and some skilled communicators at the uh, parliamentary assistant role. You know, folks like uh, Stephen Lecce, um, folks like King Asurma, uh, perhaps even Stan Cho in junior cabinet roles. When we see this shuffle unfold, uh, perhaps later this week and certainly before Canada Day, that is... Uh, that is what I am hearing from my sources, and uh, we'll see if that happens. Well, uh, we've had Stephen Lecce on a number of times when uh, the ministers aren't available, and uh, he makes a good argument. I've got to say that, a very aggressive argument, but but uh, yeah, he does. <laughs> Yeah, there's no question that uh, Stephen Lecce has always been someone tapped for uh, a, a bigger role. I mean, keeping in mind he was a communications uh, professional and uh, for uh, Prime Minister Harper before getting elected and, and as a consultant uh, following that. He is incredibly uh, gifted at keeping on message, uh, which is not always a skill that mo- many ministers have. Uh, he's also incredibly personable. He has uh, done a very good job, even as a rookie, uh, of really engaging not only his direct con- constituency, but uh, overall. And uh, they would do well to, to elevate him into a role unless they want him to continue to play that Mr. Fixer uh, role going forward, but there is certainly a lot of uh, ministers. A year out isn't unusual to have a cabinet shuffle. You've given those opportunities, although this will technically be the second cabinet shuffle. Uh, if you remember back to Minister Wilson being uh, removed from caucus yeah. and then some of the shuffles, but really it's an opportunity for people who have done well uh, to and under the spotlight uh, to be promoted, and those who haven't. Uh, connected with their stakeholders, shall we say, uh, to, to be moved. Bob, who else might be shuffled out or in? Well, you know, uh, first on Vic Fidelli, uh, just in his defense, he was put in a situation to defend the, indefend- uh, the, uh, the uh, indefensible. They came up with this ridiculous number that there was a $15 billion debt. It's a lie. The chief accountant Deficit. said it's not true. Deficit. The auditor said it's not true. Independent economists said it's not true. So running around having to defend that stupidity is not helpful. Second of all, again, he he was sent out to say we're fiscally responsible, we're prudent, the last guys were terrible. Oh, by the way, we're spending $15 million more a day than the last guys. It's an impossible message to deliver. Either they're for restraint or they're not for restraint. But because they had such a slapdash fiscal policy, and it was such a mess, he was put into that uh, difficulty. So, you know, uh, I think the problem with this government is they're constantly overselling and they're underproducing. 
Uh, they went to the autism community and said how bad the last guys were, went to a million meetings, said we'll be better. And then what happens yesterday, 390 people in the autism uh, who work with kids with autism got laid off. So they kind of set themselves up for a whacking. And I'm not sure that's Vic Fidelli's uh, fault as much as it is uh, the fault of the center, but he will likely, uh, he will likely, uh, be the soldier that falls for it. Look, they've got some good ministers in this government. I think at least six or eight are pretty good. Peter Beth and Paulney, uh, McNaughton in infrastructure, uh, Rod Phillips is good, Sylvia Jones. They've got a number of good performers. They've got three or four who have sort of underproduced, I think. Lisa Thompson, Lisa McLeod tends to infuriate people, which is not good in the community and social services portfolio. Dr. Marilee Fullerton refused for a full year to meet with college and university presidents, which I found bizarre. So they've got some room to make some changes or move some folks around. But I would say the core of their cabinet's pretty good. Their serious problem, frankly, is in the premier's office and with the premier. They need to get a plan. They need to stop making weekly uh, changes. And they also need to stop being so centralized and autocratic. Okay, let's take a call from Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good morning. Uh, I have written Good to afternoon. both Fidelity and the man in Oshawa to say that they have to educate the population as to why we need to have these cuts. They've done a terrible job on selling this concept. And, you know, I might suggest they use something like there is no free lunch. We've got to get people to understand that there's only X amount of money. Then that's the problem. They haven't educated the population. Okay, thanks for that, Pat. Let's go to Darko in Etobicoke. Hi, Darko. Yeah, I mean, Ford was the one with about 38% of the vote, which is which what most majority governments get. So he's down nine points. So there's, everybody's got at least 60-plus percent of the population that they don't like them. And if you want to make noise, you can make noise. You know, like, it's, you know, this, this, every party spins it that, you know, all every, whoever's in power is hated so much because there are 60% of people who didn't like him in the first place. And they didn't like McGinty, and they didn't like Harper, or, or, or probably Bill Davis. You know, it's uh, insane that you see this spin put on all the time uh, with every politician that happens to be in power. Okay, Darko, thanks for that. Thank you. Okay, uh, so Bob was just mentioning the changes in their office. We heard about that incredible incident with his principal secretary, Dean French, making a female MPP cry in public. Is there any chance, Kim, that Dean French will be replaced? And is it something that we in the public should even be concerned about? Well, there should always be concern about those who have uh, access and influence in power in power dynamics and what they do with those uh, access and influence. I think that I think everyone can agree on as part of being a, an open and transparent government. There are always going to be challenges between chiefs of staff uh, and uh, cabinet members, and 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 there's always a bit of that in every government. How you manage that, and the fact that this is now not only is he making people you know, cry. And these are not 
emotional people. These are, however, some people might want to spin this. Uh, this is not uh, people who tend to be uh, a bit more emotional than others. This was a situation that has become more and more of a distraction for this caucus and becoming uh, more about uh, what's happening with the chief of staff and what's happening on their legislative agenda. And there's certainly a correlation between, as uh, John McIntyre said on this program a couple of weeks ago, uh, that they need to have more planning and less chaos. Uh, that's a direct correlation to how the chief of staff uh, and the premier's office are running. And I think they need to really take the time over the summer months. Uh, it's one thing to shuffle your cabinet. It's a very different thing to figure out how to actually work with your cabinet. And they need to sort that out pretty quickly or these polling numbers are going to seem like a high watermark and not a low watermark. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if there's a parallel between this situation here and what we saw in the past in Ottawa with Gerald Butts and the prime minister. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Libby. And, and you know, we did see, um, you know, how the mighty fall. And uh, Gerald Butts, of course, a, a childhood friend of uh, the prime minister, uh, came in as his campaign manager, chief of staff, and uh, worked in Ottawa for uh, a very, very long time. Is no longer employed as the chief of staff uh, to the prime minister. So, uh, you know, there there is that that parallel for sure. But I think, um, you know, these are roles where you serve at the pleasure of of the leader, uh, whatever leader it is in office. And so, and we have seen some changes, you know, right out of the premier's office, a, a couple of new hires uh, in place, um, you know, guys like Earl Provost, who used to work for the Fords uh, down at City Hall in Toronto. Um, and we've seen a, a, a few staff uh, from Ford's office actually go to Ottawa to now go work for Andrew Shear to try to get him uh, yeah, the elected. Simon Jeffries. That's right. Uh, Simon's gone, and uh, there's a, a few others that have left uh, uh, in junior roles uh, to help out uh, Andrew Shearer. So there is that. There, there's a natural um, uh, lifespan and a very short lifespan sometimes for political staffers. Uh, they get moved around uh, and shuffled around uh, within the halls of, of power, be that on Parliament Hill or, of course, at Queen's Park. So we could be seeing some changes. Um, I would be shocked. I would be shocked uh, to see Dean French out of a job uh, and no longer in the premier's office. There has been some things that have happened. Of course, we've talked about them earlier, uh, but I think uh, I think he's got the confidence of the premier, and I think the the shuffle that we're going to see is going to give the opportunity to hit that reset button to recalibrate things a bit uh, at Queens Park and um, and to get going with uh, with this agenda. Okay, let's hear from Carol in Toronto. Hi, Carol. Uh, hi, Libby. Um, I just want to make it short. My comment is I, I support the Ontario PCs. I really think they are walking into a dumpster fire or have walked into a dumpster fire, and they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. One of the big messages that we really can appreciate is that it's costing the Canadian people or the Ontario people a million dollars an hour in interest on the deficit, and that is crushing. And so there's a certain amount that you can do to try to bring that down by fixing efficiencies here and there. But as soon as, and I mean, Kathleen Wynne was like a drunk with two credit cards charging the interest on one credit card and the bills on the other credit card. It was like a circus. And I mean, we were more indebted than California, for crying out loud. So... 
bringing that dumpster fire under control when you have unions spending a fortune on ads, 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 telling people, terrible, 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 they're cutting jobs, they're blah, blah, blah. The problem is you can't bring the dumpster fire without under control without turning on the hose. Okay. So they, they I think I think I think we you know? know where you're well, coming from, Carol. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Well, Bye. you know, Carol has an interesting view, but uh, from my perspective, these guys have. Uh, if we're talking about a dumpster fire, these guys have thrown several buckets of gas on the uh, dumpster fire since they've been in office for a year. They are spending fifteen million dollars more a day than Kathleen Wynne. You can't run around and say you're fiscally responsible and that you're trying to get things under control when you're spending more money. He's wasting $30 million on highly, highly excessively partisan ads on the federal gas tax, which is $0.04. And by the way, Ontario uh, collects $0.25 every gallon, and the federal gas tax is $0.04. So let's think about that. So, So my point here is these guys... Uh, are on both sides of just about every issue. They need to pick a lane, they need to get a plan, and they need to execute against their plan. They haven't done that. One of the other reasons why I think they're in the mess that they're in today is because every government is partisan to a certain extent. It's the nature of the beast. These guys are excessively partisan in every single communication that they make, and it turns off most people who don't really care that much about politics. It certainly uh, turns off independent voters. It turns off women particularly. And you will find as you go through the polling for the last few months in each one of those categories, their numbers are down in all of those demographics. And the reason is their language and their attitude and everything they do is combative and excessively partisan. Is is that partly because uh, there are some advisors there from the Harper era? I mean, it is a bit reminiscent. I don't think it's a situation where it's about a particular uh, climate or subset, whether or not it's the people who came from governing uh, under Prime Minister Harper or even the Ford Nation people or uh, those who were part of just general conservative politics. I think there is a, a real disconnect between uh, they, they, there's not a plan. Uh, you know, when you start with every sentence of we've got this 15, 16, 13 uh, billion dollar deficit, we need to get that constrained and under control. And then, as Bob rightly points out, they spend more in their last budget than a Kathleen Wynne election year budget. Uh, it, it, there's a disconnect. So then it becomes, uh, as I as I frequently uh, say, which is show me your budget, I'll show you your values. The problem is their values are all over the place and no one knows what it is. So they really do need to take this time and this cabinet shuffle and this time over the summer uh, to to take their temperature check to figure out what kind of government they actually want to be to do some proactive planning, to reach out to some of the stakeholders that have been uh, less than than engaged over the last uh, year including municipalities, and find out what that new relationship and what those new power dynamics look like. This isn't about an ideology. This is about a disconnect between all parts of their government right now. Okay, let's hear from Mike in Mississauga. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for letting me contribute. I just got three quick points. I think Ford from the very beginning, Premier Ford from the very beginning, he made a mistake by kind of, he kind of peeved off the people of Toronto by by 
forcing the you know the changes of the of the councillors' districts, you know you know reducing them to, to you know to, to twenty five, but I think you know the people of Toronto or the people of Ontario seem to be holding him more accountable. And they see him as weak because Dalton McGuinty, what was it, 15 years ago, ran on, on one of his platforms was that he was going to give full support for, for autism. And then he reneged when he got elected. But the people of Toronto, the, you know, the people didn't rise up against him like they, they seem to be doing against uh, Doug Ford. And I wonder, I wonder if the people in his, you know, in his group, I wonder if there's some saboteurs in there that are pretenders, you know, they really want to see him fall. They want to see him out and they're just like tag along. Oh, that's quite the conspiracy theory, Mike. Uh, thanks for that. I'll leave you. You know, Mike brings up some interesting points, particularly around the history uh, that we saw and the changes to municipal government uh, right here in the city of Toronto mm-hmm. uh, that uh, were instituted quite quickly. Um, I think many would agree quite aggressively uh, to the city of Toronto. And Mike should know that Mississauga is going through its own governance change. You know, we're seeing changes um, potentially coming um, in Durham, in Peel, uh, in York Region, in Muskoka, in Kitchener-Waterloo. Uh, and and we will see the effect of these changes and what they may mean uh, in August when the Municipal Affairs Minister reports out on how those other jurisdictions will be uh, governed, uh, whether they'll stay as two-tier government or whether they will, uh, uh, in the case of Mississauga, um, become a, a, a one-city uh, uh, government. And so how quickly they move forward with that, I think certainly um, uh, perhaps, you know, it, it, rubbed, it rubbed people the wrong way. And it had that effect uh, that we're seeing uh, play out right now. And um, and so I think the government's got to be aware of that and will be looking at how they approach Toronto insofar as those other municipalities are concerned right across the province uh, in uh, in the months ahead. And we expect that decision, as I said, to come out uh, in August uh, uh, this uh, this summer. I'd, I'd like to turn to federal politics for a bit. So we're seeing polls and punditry that says, okay, the worst is over for Justin Trudeau. He started to come back. He got a pretty warm reception at the parade yesterday. And Andrew Scheer, well, there's this big ad campaign, the Scheer Weakness campaign mounted by a, a union-supported group. Uh, is that Does that have resonance? Because he's been ahead of the polls, but people don't really know him. Bob, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I wouldn't take any of the polls too seriously at this point. Let's remember four years ago, we were talking about Prime Minister Tom Mulcair at this point. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, elections matter and campaigns matter. Uh, I think the Prime Minister is a formidable campaigner. I think you saw yesterday with tens upon tens of thousands of people, there's a residual of goodwill there. I think a number of people sort of hit the pause button with him. They didn't like what was going on with SNC-Lavalin. They thought the government had made some mistakes. So he's got some work to do to win some of those folks back and win some of those independent voters back. And he's got his work cut out for him. But uh, I still think at the end of the day, we will see a liberal government, whether it's minority or majority, I'm not sure. But I think he still commands quite strong support pretty much across the country. Um, uh, less Alberta, let's be clear about that. Um, <laughs> But uh, but I, I still think uh, if you were betting on a, on somebody in this election, I would still bet on Trudeau. So the road to any government, Libby, 
the road to any government goes through this province, uh, through Ontario and, of course, through the GTA uh, with the number of seats uh, when we look at the federal uh, electoral map. And I will say this, play the tape back in uh, rather later in October, and I'm seeing it now and I've been seeing it for months. I believe we're going to be headed for a minority government uh, in in October. And a lot of that comes back down to what uh, Bob Richardson shared with us uh, at the top of this uh, show when he talked about, you know, the 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 um, the thinking that a lot of people have the turning off on politics because of 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 this this you know these thoughts and this visceral hate and all of this stuff that's going on I think that's going to bleed uh, from Ontario and Ontario voters' minds into how they cast their ballot in October um, I believe the bloc is going to pick up some seats in Quebec. Um, I don't think uh, the NDP will be able to hold on to their seats, but I also don't think that Canadians really have, uh, uh, you know, a change mandate, as we saw the last time, in mind to usher in a new majority government. So I think it'll be interesting to see the cards really being held in a minority situation by a combination of perhaps the NDP, the Bloc, and what I expect what I expect to be an increase in seats for the Green, Green Party. Green Party, yeah. Green Party... Uh now believed to be a bigger threat for the NDP uh, than for anyone else. Uh, Kim, uh, is is Trudeau back on track in your opinion? Well, look, as you know, we we talk about frequently where Prime Minister Trude- now Prime Minister Trudeau was four years ago was a distant third that everyone was writing off, and Liberals were calling for uh, his resignation so that they could win the election and not hand it back to the Prime Minister. Campaigns absolutely matter. We've were he is now has a record a record in which he's running on, uh, and two uh, leaders, uh, with Mr. Shear and Mr. Singh, who have not run a national campaign before and haven't uh, been under this type of spotlight before. Uh, Ms. May will, will play a, a role into this campaign, although she has already ruled out uh, both uh, her ability to win a national government, but also, you know, she's already laid the cards on the table. She will work with Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, so there are lots of questions about what kind of platform you're going to run when you've already said you're going to prop up uh, the Prime Minister should he have a minority government and where her trade trades will be. We've seen the Green Party not be as uh, pro-labor uh, and pro a, a lot of things new Democrats hold 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 dear and clear. Uh, so she's got some explaining to do to people once they start paying attention to the election and how she might want to try to position herself to take away uh, votes from new Democrats. Does that end up with more splits? Who knows? But really, uh, she's got a lot of explaining to do. More importantly, from my perspective, we saw in the weekend uh, that Jagmeet uh, Singh has put out his platform. It's you know, this is what he is running on. This is his values and making sure that people are taken care of, uh, not only from a social safety net, but really that we get into not promising things for future generations, but we're actually taking care of current generations, uh, their health and well-being. And I think that's part of the challenge we've seen in, in healthcare and pharmacare, uh, that we get these grand promises that sometime in the foreseeable future, three mandates down the road, we might get to something. If it's a priority, it's actually a priority. And so you're going to see a much more aggressive, uh, proactive style of a platform that this is what Jigmeet Singh is running on. This is what his values are. And uh, and I think you're going to see a big shift in all the parties that they're going to have to have those serious conversations, not only about 
what their values are, but how they will pay for it as well. Um, I think there's a lot of time left. There's a lot of time to stumble. There's lots of time to recover. Uh, but really, it's going to be how do you stand the, stand in the spotlight and be a world leader? How important is the environment going to be? Uh, we had a leak today. Shear is unveiling his environmental platform tomorrow, and it seems to uh, focus on selling India and China Canadian liquefied gas. I mean, we can't even get China to take our canola now. Aleem, how's that going to go over? I, I, I expect... Well, I think, I, look, I think the environment is an important issue. I think it's a, an issue uh, that gives um, the Liberals some opportunity. Um, I think uh, the Conservatives, regardless of what's in his platform, um, have shown they are they effectively do not believe in climate change and just look at the witnesses they invite to committees uh, look at their actions when the ban- simple ban- banning of plastics which a whole variety of di- uh, different jurisdictions including the conservative government and in, in, uh, in uh, Britain are looking at these guys come up with a million reasons why you can't do it their answer to every uh, climate change thing is oh we're only 0.02% of the pro- uh, problem or 2% of the world's populations as though that exempts us from ever doing anything. So they've kind of seeded that up. They have that ground. God bless them. I'm glad they do. But I think there's an opportunity for a moderate uh, uh, proposal that says, we got to do some stuff. We need to show some leadership. But yes, there are bigger problems and we got to work with other jurisdictions to help them bring them along too. I think if the Liberals manage to articulate that properly, and they haven't done a great job of it yet, they need to do a better job of it. But if they manage to do that, I think it could be an advantage for them in the coming election. Okay, quick, quick, Aleem, because we're out of time. Uh, Really quickly, 10 seconds. I I expect the Liberals to continue to fight the good fight on climate change, make that a priority, try to suck up uh, uh, the oxygen as they, they, you know, uh, try to court that center and that center left on the issues of the environment and climate change. That's not going to change moving into October. Okay. Uh, people, this was great. We're going to do it again on a regular basis, but we are totally out of time. Thank you so much, Kim Wright, Bob Richardson, and Aleem Kanji. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.